Thrive and Thrive would like to begin by first acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land of which we recorded this podcast and extend our respect to elders, past, present, and emerging. I have a monkey mind, which means I get distracted and lose my thoughts easily. So I'd like to talk to you about Notion, a productivity software that allows you to track projects and the other cool stuff. I've been using Notion for about a year now and have loved the freedom it gives me in my business. I'm a proud Notion affiliate as it is my one-stop shop for the back end of my business and my brain when I'm not using my brain. Does that make sense? I didn't think so. (laughs) See what I mean by a monkey mind? I use Notion as a database and a way to track my programs, clients, and projects. If you're looking for a digital tool for your team, personal use, or business, you can check it out on our affiliate link in the episode description. Start today and get organized for tomorrow. Hello and welcome back to another episode. First and foremost, I want to express my deepest gratitude to each and every one of you for being part of our growing Arrive and Thrive Career Podcast family. That was a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) Your support means the world to me and I truly appreciate your valuable time and attention. If you're finding value in our content and haven't already done so, I want to invite you to hit that subscribe button and become a regular part of our community. Also feel free to leave a little review as well if you're that way inclined. Your subscription and review is a vote of confidence in what I do and it fuels my passion to deliver the best content possible to help you and others thrive in their career. To subscribe, simply click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform and you'll be in the loop with each new release. Now let's arrive and thrive together and have a little roar. Listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Arrive and Thrive Career Podcast. I have a very special guest with me today who's chatting to me virtually um, from the sunny seaside town of Geelong, Meg Durham from the School of Wellbeing Podcast. Welcome to the Arrive and Thrive Career Podcast. Tyson, I already feel better from just being here. I feel like I have arrived and thriving having this chat with you. <laughs> That's beautiful. I appreciate that little pun. You're the first person to actually do that pun uh, on the podcast. I've had other people weave the name into their answers, but um, the fact that you're arriving and thriving right now is, is yeah, beautiful. Yeah, we're ready for action. Who knows where we're going to go today? <laughs> So Meg, introduce yourself to the listeners. Uh, What is it that you do? And uh, I suppose your main purpose at this point. So technically, I'm a teacher wellbeing specialist. What that means is I create spaces for teachers to connect, share, laugh and reflect on their own wellbeing. That's my preferred That's my professional lens. But in a personal world, I'm a mum to two busy, busy boys. When I had children, I thought the universe would deliver yin and yang I just got yang yang so my life is chaotic my house looks like it's burgled uh, most of the time and I love it I love that it's such a, an adjustment I've got two girls so um it's funny people go oh, do you notice much of a difference between little boys and little girls and and uh from my experience of little boys and being a father of two little girls um there is quite a difference <laughs> Well, if you came to my house over the weekend, Tyson, you would have seen bulk sticky tape. My youngest has a thing for sticky tape. There is sticky tape all over the house. He gets all the chairs, lines them up, gets sticky tape and then clothes hangers. And there is just always something happening somewhere. So I've had to move beyond 
my need for things to be tidy and clean and just accept that it's chaos and it's magic and it won't be happening forever. So I've just got to embrace it. Mm, and that's easier said than done, I've noticed, as a, as a parent. You're just like, oh, just let it go, whatever, water off a duck's back, and then, yeah, it just slowly creeps in <laughs> to your uh, me- mental fortress. Yes, and this is pretty much everything when it comes to living and working is we have these ideas have of how it should be, We visualise in the future this is how it's going to look, but then we are struck with the reality and so often there's a massive gap between what we expect life will be and how we're experiencing it day in and day out. Mm. That's such a good point, Meg. So is that I'm assuming that's a largely around what you do with with the people that you work with and the message that you're spreading on your podcast is that sometimes – things in the classroom if you're working with teachers or if you're working with young people or anyone in their profession they don't go to plan and trying to roll with that um, in a calm and collected way well pretty much nothing goes to plan (laughs) like nothing I have never had a day that actually goes to plan I've never had a life stage go to plan because when we're thinking about the future when we're anticipating the future we're not thinking about the niggles the small little moments, we're just thinking about how cool would that be? I think about the first night before I became a teacher, the night before I stepped into the class for the very first time, I was so excited. I had my class list. I was ready. I had my teacher outfit laid on the bed. I was like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm going to nail this. I've watched the movies I'd seen to Sir with Love and Dangerous Minds. (laughs) I thought, yeah, I'm ready. I'm sorted. I'm going to educate the future. This is amazing. This is magic. I'm getting paid. I walk into that classroom and within the first 30 seconds, it dawned on me, I had no idea what I was doing. Yes, I may be qualified. Yes, I may be registered, but there is so much that I don't know because the part of me that thought, yes, it'd be so fun to be a teacher, didn't have the experience of the reality. The same thing in a work context where you think, oh, I want to work for myself. That'd be so, so cool. I can work for myself, freedom, laptop lifestyle. And then all of a sudden you think, oh, but I've got to pay the bills. Mm. Oh, I've for the paper I've got to do all of this stuff and it's the reality that can catch us off guard if we're not ready for it Mm, that's so well put so well put so what are some of the that's a really good point like what are some of the realities that you find a lot of the people that you're speaking with and working with that are perhaps a little bit skewed um that once they start working with yourself and listening to your podcast that you can you know help them deal with those changes Oh, I've, I've got five. I've got five realities that we as humans feel like we have to live up to. It's almost like these unwritten rules that if we just do these five things, then my life will be magic. I'll be successful. I will be able to sleep deeply at night. And these five things, I call them the five Ps because they're five patterns of behavior that we put all this pressure on ourselves and it's just not possible So I'll go through them quickly and if there's any of them that you want to dive into, we can do that. The five Ps are feeling the need to be perfect, to please, to pretend, to produce and perform. So if that is our benchmark, if that is our expectation of what it is to be a successful human, there's always going to be a gap because we are mere mortals. We are not machines. 
There's no factory line. We are humans. And as humans, we have ups and downs. As humans, we have a limited capacity. And as humans, once we go beyond that capacity, some really interesting behaviours start to come out. When you mean interesting behaviours, what, what are some things that you wouldn't mind sharing? Oh, so for me, when, when I'm talking about interesting behaviours, I'm talking about the things that start to come out when we're tired, when we're depleted, because we're trying to strive for all these Ps and we're falling short. And then we start to get frustrated. I start to get frustrated at myself. Then I start to get frustrated at the people that I live with. And then I start to get resentful because if I'm in this real spiral of got to work harder, got to work harder, got to work harder, I see someone reading the paper and I think, oh, good for you, champ. You're relaxed and reading your paper over there. Like we've got work to do, work to do. There's things to do on the list. What are you doing? Or I start to feel resentful of someone who's relaxed and just in the present moment, like how can you be so relaxed? There's, we've got things to do. Like there's a part of me that is just go, 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 go. This is the P side of me. And so it can come out in frustration, resentment, bitterness, um, judgment, like really fierce judgment around other people and their choices. But really there's a part of me that would deeply love to be doing those things. And then also guilt. Like I start to feel really guilty. I should be happy. I've got a really good life. And then I start to sometimes um, use the gratitude in a way that's unhelpful. Like you should be grateful. Like, Mm. honestly, there are people that are much harder circumstances. You should be grateful. And so it's all of this stuff that starts to come out sideways when we're resisting the reality in which we're faced. Mm. Yeah. That's a really fascinating point because I look at my own life and I think I've, I've spoken to other people about this as well, like this notion of practicing gratitude. And sometimes you feel like you're force feeding yourself. You're like, I'm not hungry. I don't want anything. And you're like, no, I need to force feed this gratitude to change my mindset. Um, and something I've been really mindful of myself is, is like listening more to my, my energy and my mindset. So if I, if I'm not in the zone or not in the mood to, to practice gratitude, um, sometimes I just accept that and go, you know, it's okay. I'll come back to it. Um, but also sometimes I feel like when I, I push through and do something that I don't necessarily want to, I feel better on once I've done it. So how do, how do people get this balance, this, this balance and this, this, um, you know, the right, uh, I suppose feedback to go, okay, I need to just push through because I need to do this for myself or to give myself space and time to not do it. Do you see what I'm saying, Meg? I totally get what you mean. And I play that dance every single night when I'm lying on the couch and I'm asking myself, one more episode, go to bed. (laughs) One more episode, go to bed. Um, I just finished watching the Beckham documentary and I can tell you at the end of every episode, I was like, oh, I could just watch it, just one more. The other part of me that's saying go to bed. And this is the tension. This is what we're faced with every single day. So I'm going to move away from that couch example and go right back to the start and this concept of the battery because how charged our battery is is going to dictate which choices we make. When our battery is charged, we can make really good decisions. And what I'm talking about is decisions that make us feel good in the future. They're those decisions where you think, oh, I'm so glad I made the effort. That's worth the effort. And we can do that when our battery is charged. However, 
when our battery is depleted, when our battery is not charged, we're going to take choices that lead us to places that feel good in the moment and not so good afterwards. So when my battery is depleted, I'm going to watch one more episode because I literally don't have the energy to stop myself to go to bed. But when my battery is charged, I can notice I want to watch one more episode and I get myself to bed. So how do we know how charged our battery is? There's five elements. And these are the five questions that we need to start asking ourselves every day just to notice what's going on for me. The first one is, in the last 24 hours, have you had enough sleep for your body? The second one, in the last 24 hours, have you moved your body? The third one, in the last 24 hours, have you nourished your body? The fourth question, in the last 24 hours, have I had some rest, some unproductive time, some downtime, recovery? And finally, in the last 24 hours, have I had some quality connection? So depending on the answers to those five questions, that's going to determine which choice we make. Because if your battery's charged, you're thriving. You're making decisions based on what's good for your future self. You will get yourself to go for that run. You won't buy that extra thing online. You won't check your emails because you know, actually I don't really need to check them right now. But when your battery is flat, you're going to do all the things that feel really good in the moment and then they don't feel so great afterwards. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when your battery is depleted, you're searching for those those quick kind of sparks of, of dopamine to, to hotwire your battery again, essentially. Yeah. So, and we're seeking this dopamine. You know, the more tired we are, the more we're seeking this lift. And we all know that experience. You could literally be on the couch looking at, eyeing off that block of Cadbury chocolate scrolling on your phone as you're watching one more episode, thinking about, oh, I could add to cart. Like you're constantly looking for this lift. But when we're actually feeling quite good, we can move towards discomfort. We can do the thing that we don't really want to do, knowing that it's worth the effort. A concrete example for me is every Saturday morning, I swim down at Cozy Corner in Torquay all year round. It is freezing so so cold in the depths of winter it is so cold so my drive down to the beach pretty much for 90 percent of it i'm thinking i can't be what am i doing this is so cold this is ridiculous like why did i even start this this is so ridiculous i get there have a chat with everyone i swim with as we're walking in the water every saturday morning during winter we're saying gosh i think it's colder this year yeah i reckon it was colder than yeah it's definitely colder than last week this is so cold what are we doing and for that first two, three minutes, once we've dived in and swimming, I am thinking, this is ridiculous. Get me out of here. This is horrible. My face is on fire. What was I thinking? And then all of a sudden I had this idea of thinking, oh, I actually won't swim with my face in the water today. I'm just going to do water polo. Water polo style, who needs to put their face in the water? And then eventually I get swimming, I get rhythm, and all of a sudden I get that flood and it's the best thing I've ever done. Like, oh, this is so good. And once we've swum, we're getting out of the water. I am like high-fiving. This was brilliant. This is fantastic. I absolutely love ocean water swimming. And the thing about doing something that we don't want to do and we make ourselves do it, once we finish, we're satisfied. Once I get out of that ocean, I'm not thinking, oh, just one more. I'm just going to do one more ocean swim. No. No. Once I finished a run, I don't finish a run thinking, oh, I'll just run again. 
No, once we've finished that complete cycle, there's that sense of satisfaction. But when we're doing things for that short term, so think about just checking your emails, just checking social media, adding to cart, one more wine, one more row of chocolate, you can never have enough. You just want more and more and more. So that's why it's really important to understand dopamine and how dopamine is playing out in our lives and are we moving towards things that we don't want to do so we can get that deep sense of satisfaction that the effort was worth it. Hello friends. When I'm not hitting record here on the podcast, I'm delivering career management and life design workshops in schools. So far we've supported over 45,000 individuals and counting since starting in 2019. We're in 100 schools across Victoria, a few in New South Wales, and a couple in Queensland. But we still have so much more to do. Growing our community member base is a huge focus for us, as our mission is to help all young Australians develop meaningful careers and live a fulfilling life. If we can teach young people important career management and life skills early, we hope that these skills will serve them well into their life post-school. If you're a teacher, educator, principal or school leader looking to add a little extra career education and entertainment to the curriculum, check out our workshops at arrivethrive.com.au. You can download our program brochure, learn about our workshops, see our prices and read what teachers and students have said about us and how we can support your community. Thanks again for tuning in. You mentioned the the nourish piece. So I'm assuming you're referring to nutrition there and what you're putting into your body. Yeah. So mo- loads, yeah, so I'm talking about nutrition, yep. the literal nutrients we're putting into our bodies. Because I work with teachers mostly, they're big-hearted humans, they're very capable, they're very efficient, and a part of their story is I don't have time to eat. Mm. I don't have time to sit and eat. I don't even have time to drink water because if I drink water, I'm going to go to the toilet, don't have the time for the toilet, so I've just got to keep going. And the predictable pattern that I see in teachers time and time again is they do not eat all day. They have been racing all day. They don't have time to eat, but when they get home, they inhale the pantry. They cannot the get enough munchies. in. Mm. Yeah, it's... um. I feel, I feel like it's a common occurrence for a lot of professions, like uh, even, you know, trades, nursing, uh, healthcare, corporate space too. Like there's people who just, you know, it's that go, go, go mentality. It's the hustle, 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 the work hard. Um, and as you were saying those points, because um, I agree, I think if, you, if you've got all, each of those areas and you're tapping into those, your battery is, is going to be charged. For a lot of people, it's it's this game of prioritization. So it's like, okay, well, maybe I can't have all five, but maybe I can get three. Um, and if you're working hard, you've got kids, you know, I feel like um, myself at the moment, like I, I clock off work and then I clock on to my other job when I get home with my kids. Um, and so what type of advice do you give to people where they have that type of lifestyle at this at this point in time where they're go 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 at work they get home they go 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 at home and you know they might hit one of those five things like is there a strategy that you have in place in terms of like kind of chipping away at one of those other areas or run me through your thoughts there well when it comes to that battery piece i've been asking these five questions over the last decade and the average response from the adults that i work with is two 
So the average Australian is on about a two out of five. Okay. And so if we're on a two out of five, it actually makes it hard to make the good choices. It's that paradox of energy. The less we have, the less likely we are to do the things that make us feel good. But the more we have, the more likely we are to do the things that make us feel good. And so we need to look at our expectations around the different areas. And instead of feeling like we have to be perfect at our sleep and perfect at movement, just what progress can I make? Within my reality, what is realistic when it comes to sleep? Mm. How many hours realistically can I get? And at different stages of our life, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be out of your control. If it's young people, if it's perimenopause, if it's menopause, whatever's happening, there can be factors outside of our control. But within my control, what can I do? What's helping me? What's harming me? And getting really curious about each of the elements, the stories we tell ourselves about that element. So, for example, the sleep element, we can tell ourselves, I've always been a rubbish sleeper. I don't have time for sleep. And you think, oh, hang on, is that really helpful? Is that really true? Are there things that I'm doing that's taking me away from quality sleep? Do I have my phone in the bed with me at night? Am I thinking about all my to-do list? Is my brain and body ready for sleep? Am I actually at rest? And the same thing when it comes to movement. People can have such strong stories around movement. I know mine's really strong and it's really helpful for me. Because I know that if I don't move, I'm pretty cranky. I just need to move. I'm designed to move and I love movement. However, there are people who are listening thinking, oh, that's the first thing to go. Like that's only when I'm really, really in a good routine that I'm moving and start to think about what is the story I'm telling myself here? Because you might think you're only moving if you're doing a 45-minute intense workout where it could be just to walk around the block. So all of those five elements we can touch on each and every day. It just depends on our expectations of what we think it should look like versus what's possible within this current stage of life. Mm, yeah, fascinating. The the rest element too. So you were saying that, you know, there's obviously a difference between sleep and then a difference between rest. So could rest be like uh, reading a book? Um, could rest be you know, binging that TV show for like an hour as instead of like three hours? Like what's your definition of rest? So for me, it's really some psychological respite. Is there pockets of time throughout your day that you just get a break? You give yourself a break, like cut yourself some slack. You don't have to be productive. I've got teachers that even when they're watching TV, they're doing their physio exercises or they're marking something. They feel like they can't just enjoy it for pleasure, for fun. So for rest, it's really about respite. How can I have some respite that allows me to recover so I can go again tomorrow? And for so many of us, we do not allow ourselves to rest, to recover. It's all about going harder and harder. And if you talk to any elite athlete, the most important part of their whole program is rest and recovery. They have got so clued in when it comes to rest and recovery, if it's from saunas, massage, ice baths, whatever it may be, it's something that we overlook time and time again as humans and it is so vital. So for someone, rest could be mowing the lawns because they literally just check out and mow the lawns. For someone else, it's literally cleaning the house. It makes them feel calm. Like it's really getting curious about 
what are activities and experiences that allow you just to disconnect and recover? Mm. Yeah, it's, I've heard that um, analogy before around professional athletes, like that a, a big cornerstone of their routine is that rest elements because how can you perform if you're fatigued? Um, and it's funny, like it just doesn't translate into average Joe society where we're just going off to work and we're just burning the candle at both ends. Um, and then, you know, we're having performance conversations and people are saying, oh, you know, we need a little bit extra from you or you're not hitting that particular KPI or you're, you're having that performance conversation with yourself going, oh, why can't I, you know, apply more of that energy at work and things like that. It's like, well, duh, <laughs> my battery is empty. Like I haven't been resting. So I often say when I'm working with um, clients from a career perspective, like we often have our biggest aha career moments when we're on holidays because we're in that that rest piece where we're we've taken all we're taking away those day-to-day distractions and we're able to focus in on ourselves the immediate people around us too so that might be family that you're on holiday with as well and yeah the amount of conversations i have with with community members and clients and they'll go oh you know i was thinking about this over my break or i was thinking about this on holiday and i'm like you were rested that's why <laughs> Yeah, because your brain literally feels safe enough to think about new things. When we're under pressure, when we're feeling desperate, when we're literally in a race for survival, our brain's not going to stop and think, oh, what a beautiful day. Oh, that's lovely. That's a nice shade of pink. It does not, that's not how it works. That's why our best ideas come on a walk or when we're in a shower because our body is feeling safe, it's feeling relaxed, and when we feel safe and relaxed, all of a sudden, we think about the world differently. I'm currently in the stage of writing a book and I can tell you so hard because I am the P queen. I love to produce, perform, perfect. I love to do all the P's. And so for me, it's been such an enlightening process to think if I want to get my thoughts out of my head and onto the paper, I need to do things differently. I can't have all of my life completely jam-packed because the ideas aren't flowing. And so I've had to get really clear on allowing time in the morning where there's no podcasts, where there's no learning. In the evenings, no podcasts, no additional learning, not reading more and more and more and creating lots of white space. And sometimes I think of it as free time for my mind. Like I need to create more free time to allow the thoughts to come together so I can get it out of my head and onto the page. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting concept that one isn't it it's like in i feel like quite often when we're striving towards something so if that's um in your case continuing to refine your business or build your business i know that's something that i think about a lot um it's like we are constantly consuming content so i know i'll jump on linkedin and someone will be like oh i read 55 books this year and these are the learnings i had from each one and i'm just like my brain just gets overloaded with that much content. Um, and I have to stop myself sometimes like the other, literally last night, um, I'll put my girls to bed and then I might listen to a podcast, uh, while I'm doing the dishes or folding some washing or doing some stretching or something like that before I jump into bed. And literally last night I was, I suppose, binging more content to go, okay, I need to start thinking about that myself. And then, and then I was just noticing that it was just going in one ear and out the other. And the art of actually consuming something 
hitting pause, removing the distraction, just letting that thought fill your mind without processing further content and just binging is in many ways, and I think there's a bit of research to back this up, is actually way more beneficial than just going from book to book to book to book or from podcast episode to podcast episode. It's like sitting with that knowledge, reflecting on that knowledge, and then even talking about that knowledge with someone else. That's something I've tried to start doing with my wife um, more is to say, hey, I listened to this and try and explain that back to her because it's all also a good reference for me to go, okay, am I actually learning this or is it actually useful? Um, does that make sense? Yeah, and I love how you're just noticing that you have this tendency to want to consume, mm. consume and consume and consume. And really the learning process is about taking things but then also pairing it with our lived experience and then making meaning of it and then sharing. So when it comes to social media, that's something that I'm really mindful of is that I'm not there to consume, I'm there to create. I want to be able to put something on there that creates a conversation, not so much about consuming other people's content because I know for me I have a tendency to just want more and more and more. So I will listen to one podcast. I've already bought a book. I'm thinking about another podcast. It's like I that's just how I'm wired. There's always more to learn. And so getting to a place of, yep, I know that that's what I want to do. And right now at this stage of my life, I just can't afford to consume that much. Like just on the weekend, knowing that I'm going into a period of much less information coming in and really using what I've got, I had to go through, well, I chose to, go through my podcast list and unfollow a whole heap of podcasts and just keep to a small amount. And that's all I'm allowed to have for the week and mm. really getting clear on that. If I want to do meaningful things in the world, I need to create space for my own thoughts and my own thinking and not just to constantly consume other people's thoughts and thinking. Yeah. It's, it just reminds me of this, this saying that I, I have heard so many times uh, and I feel as I get older um, and my responsibilities increase with both business, my family, as a husband, to my friends, the art of saying no. And, and that is like prevalent to what you were saying with unfollowing podcasts going, I haven't got the mental bandwidth for that right now. Or it might be, um, you know, someone might say, hey, Ty, I'd love to, have a coffee with you, learn about your business and things like that. And I go, I love that, but right now I, I can't prioritise that type of thing. Or it might be a phone call with a mate or something like that. You just have to kind of – the art of saying no allows you to zero in on those things that are really important to you. And and that is like, you know, Meg, I've got <laughs> – I've got uh, two apps that are like my Achilles heel on my phone. So like I set up these – app timers and LinkedIn's one of them and Reddit is another one. And I myself go down these rabbit holes all the time where I'll be like, oh my God, like binging that content or going down LinkedIn and I'll be like, oh man, that person's business is going really well or good for them. And then I know if I don't set that limit or that, or if I say no to that, that will just fuel the negative side of my mindset. Um, and that self-comparison and that self-sabotage. And so, again, coming back to that, the art of saying no. Um, but as a teacher, how do you say no? Like when 
that you've got 25 minds that you're molding for the future or as a nurse, how do you say no to, you know, people in the workplace when their life depends on you? Like, you know, there's professions that it's a lot more difficult to be able to say no in. Well, when it comes to saying no, I think we need to step back a little bit further and think about what's the cost here? What is the cost? Because there are times where we do want to say yes. And what I've learned in my own personal experience is that the more I say yes to the things that I don't really want to do, the less time I have for the things that I actually want to do. And then I get quite resentful because I'm doing all this stuff that I actually don't really want to do and I miss out on things that I do want to do. And it is such a skill for big-hearted humans that are willing and conditioned to give and give and give to start to consider themselves. You know, I, I really identify as a people pleaser. It is my strongest P of all the P's. And I'm in a position now where I cannot please everybody. More people are demanding my time. More people want me to speak. And in one way, that's awesome. That's exciting. But in the next thing, it's deeply uncomfortable because I'm in a position where I have to say I would love to help and I don't have the capacity right now. And it makes me feel so uncomfortable. It can last, you know, 24 hours sometimes, just that guilt of, I can't believe I said no, I've worked with them before, like this is so, like I just feel so uncomfortable when I say no. And once it passes, there's this relief of, oh, I'm so glad I didn't say yes to that because if I said yes to that, the cost is going to be too high. The cost is going to be my health, not ideal as a well-being speaker. You don't want your well-being speaker arriving feeling exhausted and over it. And also the cost to my kids, because when I lean into work too much, which I have a natural tendency to do, my natural tendency is more, more, more. So once I'm leaning into that, my kids honestly become friction. They're like just getting in the way, like just get sorted, get to bed because I've got work to do. And that's not how I want to live my life. My family is my number one priority. So in order to be present with my family, I have to be able to look at situations and see what's the cost here. Yes, it's exciting. And maybe three or four years ago, I would have absolutely loved to have done that thing. And the cost is too high. And so when we're thinking about boundaries, when we're thinking about our yes or no, it's important to consider what is the cost here? And to really know yourself and you can really build up this useful information because I know if I'm left to my default, if I'm left to my tendencies, I will say yes to everything and I can run on imaginary time. We're like, oh, yeah, I can fit that in. Yeah, I can fit that in. And now by design, I have to stop myself and think, can I actually fit that in? How much time will that actually take and how much energy will that take? And considering that reality Am I willing? Is there a willingness there? Yes or no? Mm. Yeah. Meg, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, it's like, yeah, coming back to, you know, what am I saying yes to and what are the main priorities? And I think people often in my line of work, I hear um, people often go, yeah, my priority are my, my partner, my, my kids. Um, but you know, there's like these little carrots that get dangled in front of us. Like if I hit this, 
new project, I might get a pay rise or if I hit this um, particular, you know, milestone, that will mean X. Um, but I think keeping that reality in check and going, okay, no, what are the most important things for me? What am I saying yes to? And therefore, how is that going to shift my um, nose or my um, my ability to organise the space around those important things? And I don't know about you, but I'd rather become a master of a few things than <laughs> not that great at many. <laughs> and it's also about what gives you energy, mm. what lifts you up. If I think back about my career path, so I always wanted to be a teacher. I was one of those young kids that played schools and all I ever wanted was to be a teacher. And then I became a teacher and I absolutely loved it. And then I quickly realised that like, oh, it's like this human stuff. It's the human element that I don't really know much about and I want to know more. So then I went to study my master's in education in student wellbeing at the University of Melbourne. And I thought, well, once I get my master's, then I'll be sorted then I'll be able to get the job that I really want. And then once I got my master's, it was me with a little bit more information. Like I fundamentally hadn't changed. And I remember getting to a point of I'm working at the school that I really wanted to work at. I've done the training that I've wanted to do. And what next? I remember going to see a psychologist and saying, I feel like unfulfilled. Like I just don't know. Like I thought I'd be happy once I did this extra qualification, I was working my butt off, working full-time, studying and teaching aerobics part-time in the morning. Like I was hard working because I thought that if I just worked hard enough, then I'll get to a place where I'm happy. And that's when the psychologist looked at me and said, Meg, who are you when you're not performing? And I was like, oh, that isn't the most ridiculous <laughs> question I've ever heard. Like, oh, my God, like who's any, like, I don't know. I wouldn't have a clue who I was because I was so used to striving and the next thing and the next thing, what I had to learn and what I continue to have to learn is to arrive, to enjoy. Yes, it's great to strive. It's great to look for the future and it's a skill to enjoy what we have in this moment. Taco. Taco. I'm roaring. One of the things that we ask all of our guests here on the Arrive and Thrive Career Podcast um, is, you know, what are you roaring about? And this goes back to uh, my dear mates who started this show with me, um, rest his soul, Dan Lenardi, and he would often say to guests, you know, what are you roaring about? Um, so would love to know from yourself, what are you currently roaring about? It sounds like you're a bit of a roarer for uh, cold swims down at Cozy Corner in Torquay. Oh. Any, anything else that you're currently roaring about? Oh, mate, like I'm roaring about something every new week. Like <laughs> honestly, there is something that I'm super excited about. I'm down a rabbit hole and at the moment it's fasting. You know, I've been really curious about fasting for a very long time. But as a female, I just thought I just don't know if I fast in the way that men, like, I just don't know because women are different. We have a cycle, like how do you actually fast? And then I came across a book called Fast Like a Girl and I am hooked, I am in, and it's really looking at how women's fasting is very different to men's and how we can maximise our 
how we can maximize our productivity, but also just our clarity and energy when we work with the cycle instead of feeling like it has to be a set and forget kind of fasting. It's a different kind of fasting. And that's got me really excited at the moment. Fantastic. You also shared a, um, a book, um, and I might put you on the spot here in, in the um, lead up to this episode about dopamine, dopamine nation um, as one of your main career highlight books. Can you, can you share with listeners a little bit about that book? Cause I know when I saw that title, I immediately went to Kindle and downloaded the sample. So again, binging more content, but <laughs> does sound like a very interesting book. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that before we let you go? Yeah. So before dopamine nation, there's stolen focus. So we all love Johan Hari yeah. and his book stolen focus. And I was fascinated by that. But then Dopamine Nation came along and what it is, is it was written by Dr. Anna Limke. She's a head of psychiatry at the University of Stanford and she has worked with people in addiction for years and years. And she got really curious to see that, you know, this addiction thing, it's much more than alcohol. It's much more than drugs. Pretty much everything in our life has become drugified. Think about work. There's always more to do. Think about some of our relationships that can just get so intense. And so her book, the whole premise is, how do you find balance in an, in an age of indulgence? Mm. When you don't literally have to go and get your food, you just scroll and press a few buttons and then, hey, you've got dinner. Like how do you actually find some balance when there's always more at your fingertips? And she really explains that mechan- that mechanism of dopamine, which we've talked about briefly earlier, that The first type of dopamine and the first ones, your easy hits. You get the easy hit, but then you just want more. And then that second type is when you get the pain up front and then you get the pleasure afterwards. And since reading that book and having a conversation with her on the podcast, it's really helped me to consciously and deliberately work towards things that are uncomfortable instead of filling my life with all the shallow quick wins. Mm, The slow release dopamine. Yeah, so it's that feeling after the fact. So if you do the tough stuff first, that discomfort, so the ocean water swim, you get the tough stuff, but then you get the pleasure afterwards. So I'm making deliberate choices to do the hard things knowing that it's worth the effort. And that's where you really build up that sense of confidence in self to think, you know, I can actually do some pretty hard things. And the more I do that, the more I trust myself. And the more I trust myself, the more likely I am to give things a crack. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. Now, how can listeners get in contact with yourself? You've got some pretty big guests on your uh, your podcast, the School of Wellbeing podcast, including the likes of uh, Ben Crow and... Um, a few others, which listeners I highly recommend checking out. Um, but how often does your podcast come out? When can people uh, tune in and where can they follow and see your updates? Yeah, so the School of Wellbeing comes out each Friday morning and it's a new conversation around some pretty tough topics at times, but just really honest conversation. So I hope that listeners can join in feeling like they're a fly on the wall, talking about the challenges and the joys that we all face as we move forward as humans. Fantastic. And updates on LinkedIn, Instagram. Have you got a particular uh, handle you go by? Uh, Just Meg Durham. I'm pretty much Meg Durham anywhere. If you do a bit of a Google, you'll find me. Fantastic. Meg, thanks so much for coming on our podcast. Really, really appreciate it and uh, appreciate your time and insights. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tyson.